Please turn back in your Bibles to the passage we looked at earlier today in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 down through verse 30, we have the study of this man, Epaphroditus, which we continue this afternoon. And what God is doing in a passage such as this is he is giving us a portrait of what a believer looks like. He is showing us, giving us a living picture of his grace in the lives of one of his people. He could give us just commands on how we should live, but how much more real and how much more powerful, effectual it is for us when he actually shows us his grace being lived out in the lives of one of his people. That's what we see here with Epaphroditus. We read in the beginning of verse 27, Paul says, For indeed he was sick to the point of death. And here we learn that even good and godly men and women can become sick. Sickness is a part of the curse that is in this world because of human sin, but sickness of a believer is not necessarily any indication of God's displeasure or his discipline of us as believers. Here we have Epaphroditus, and he was surely a man walking in the ways of God, and yet he was sick, and even to the point of being on the verge of death. Paul says in the beginning, in the middle of verse 27, he says, but God had mercy on him. This was the cause of his recovery, the only cause of his recovery. It came from God and it came from him alone and it was only because of his mercy. Paul does not seem to speak of any human activity here that brought about his recovery. Mercy is undeserved and God's mercy is his pity upon us in our misery in this world in which we live. And he spared Epaphroditus And he brought him back from the brink of death, gave him recovery and full strength again. We should always remember that good health is not something that we deserve. It is always a mercy from God. And whenever we are ill and whenever we recover from that illness, it is because of God's mercy. It is not something that we can assume. Even a good man like Epaphroditus, so faithful in serving Christ, he could not claim that he needed, that he deserved to be healed. It was God's mercy upon him as well. We do not believe in the health and wealth gospel, which says that all we need to do is claim our healing and it will be given to us. No, the only reason why Epaphroditus recovered from his deadly sickness was the sovereign mercy of God upon him. We read in verse 25, as we saw this morning, how great was his zeal, his willingness, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, so willing to serve Christ. But that was even before his sickness. And I wonder what his zeal and willingness was after he recovered from it. Some have wondered why the Apostle Paul did not heal Epaphroditus when he was sick. Paul healed so many others, he even raised the young man at Troas from the dead after he fell out of the window. Why did not Paul heal 
Epaphroditus from his sickness? The answer may be that the healing powers that were given to the apostles were really signs for unbelievers and they were to confirm the truth of the gospel. They were not given to them for private use or for the benefit of themselves and their personal friends. We see here how quickly Paul passes over this great recovery of Epaphroditus. He simply mentions in verse 27, God had mercy upon him. It must have really been a most amazing thing that here is a man who was at the very edge of death and yet God restored him and had mercy and brought him back and gave him health and recovery again. Many would wish to know more about this and they would ask Paul, well, Paul, how did you do this and what kind of a supernatural thing took place here to bring him back from that point of death? Because people are so often amused with supernatural things like that. People are fascinated with spectacular things, some kind of miracle. But we see here how quickly Paul passes over it. He simply says, God had mercy on him and he was recovered. And yet Paul spends so much time in this passage showing to us the the grace of God in the life of Epaphroditus and his character. What really amazed Paul was not the recovery from his sickness, but the grace of God in the man's character. The most amazing thing to Paul was the work of God's grace and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not the spectacular healing, but the character of Epaphroditus. The kind of man that he was, was the true miracle to the Apostle Paul. So the lesson for us is that whatever gifts and abilities we may have, it is grace to us, it is our lives as Christians, which is always most important Another thing we see in this passage is that Epaphroditus was a man who was submissive to the will of God in his life. We see it here in two ways. First, when he was sent by the Philippian church as a messenger to Paul. We see it at the end of verse 25 where Paul says, Who is also your messenger and minister to my need. So, What happened was the Philippian church made this collection for the Apostle Paul over there in prison in the city of Rome. And when they made the collection, they needed someone to take the gift to him. It was not an easy task in those days to take the gift from Philippi over to Rome. He did not simply call an Uber and the Uber would come and bring him down to the airport and he would get on the nice and air-conditioned flight and within a few short hours he would land over in Rome. That's not the way it was in those days. It was a long, dangerous, arduous journey, 800-mile journey from Philippi to Rome. And in fact, if you were to speak to people in the church there in Philippi, probably no one would want to go to Rome. And then when they get to Rome, what would they be doing? They would be ministering to a man in prison with Nero as the emperor. There would probably be no one in the Philippian Philippian church that would step forward and say, well, raise their hand and say, let me go. And it seems that that's the way it was with Epaphroditus. They sent him, is what it says. They sent him, and yet Epaphroditus was willing to go 
on this journey. He was submissive. And so when the others tapped him on the shoulder and said, Epaphroditus, this is what we need to be done, he recognized that it was the will of God for him, and he was submissive to go. But then the plan was, and most of the commentators agree with this, that the plan was that when Epaphroditus got over there to Rome, he would stay with Paul until the end of his trial before he would return. They had their plan. They had their plan for him. But their plans changed because God intervened and the circumstances and the situation were altered by him. And what happened was he became so ill. And then the Philippian church heard about his illness. They became so anxious and distressed over it. Epaphroditus was distressed over their distress. And so the Apostle Paul determined that he would have to send him back early back to the Philippian church. And that's what he seems to be saying there in the beginning of verse 25. He says, but I, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And then again in verse 28, therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly in order when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Their plans changed. And what we see here is that Epaphroditus was once again submissive to the will of God as things changed, and he went back to his home church in Philippi. God is sovereign over all things. God, is, God rules over all events, all circumstances in our lives, and he has the right to change our plans whenever he wills. And he did this in regard to Epaphroditus by providence as the sickness came. And he also did it through the desires, through or through rather the, the desires of the other believers, whether in Philippi or the Apostle Paul. He recognized God's will comes to him, not just by his own mind, but by the will of others who are around him as believers. So we have the good example of Epaphroditus, willing submission to the will of God in his life. We'll turn to one passage back in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16. Back in Proverbs, chapter 16. Proverbs 16 and verse 9. And here we read that the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. So when Solomon says in the beginning of the verse that the mind of man plans his way, it is not an indictment on man for planning his way. We are supposed to plan our ways. We are to make good and wise plans for the future best we can. And Solomon here is really approving when a man plans his own ways, but we must always plan our own ways with an open hand, always being willing to know that our ways must be submitted unto God himself because, at the end of the verse, the Lord ultimately is the one who directs our steps. So we are to make our plans, but we are to hold them loosely because God in heaven is always sovereign and he is the one who can change our plans. And that's what happened to Epaphroditus. 
when he was sent back early from Philippi to Rome. We see the similar thing in other passages. We see it throughout the Bible. Proverbs 19 and verse 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, it will stand. In Acts chapter 18, Paul was with the Ephesians. And he said to them, I will return to you again if God wills, he said. And to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 19, he said, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And James in chapter 4, verse 13, he said, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there engaging in business, make a profit. He said, You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. So that is how Epaphroditus lived his life. If the Lord wills, he had to live in submission to the providence of God who is always able to change our plans. We turn back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now we ask the question, well, what was the sickness that Epaphroditus had? We are not told specifically what it was. It must have been a severe illness. It was not just a common cold or a fever, a little fever, a flu. It was not just some relatively minor sickness that made him so desperately sick at the point of death. As he says there, in the beginning of verse 27, indeed, he was sick to the point of death. And then down in verse 30, he speaks of the sickness again. He came close to death, and it was for the work of Christ. He was in the work of Christ when this sickness, this illness came upon him that brought him to the near, to near death. Early church tradition tells us that Epaphroditus, he ministered, among those who had contagious diseases, plagues, and deadly viruses when he was in Rome, and that's how he contracted this sickness. Now, one commentator believes that he may have been connected with Onesimus, who was the prisoner, or was the slave, the runaway slave, and he was the one who went into the, to the bad and sick parts of the city, and found Onesimus, and brought him to the Apostle Paul, and then Onesimus became a believer. And this commentator writes this, he says, Do you remember the runaway thief, the slave, Onesimus, was found, he was found in the slums of Rome, the common sink of all the worst vices of humanity, and brought to Paul in prison where he was converted. I wonder who discovered and fetched him, Was this the kind of thing Epaphroditus was doing? Was it there in the fetid atmosphere of squalid embrons of the back streets and hiding places of Rome that he caught his germ? Run down with strenuous labor, he might easily have been susceptible to a venomous virus. In verse 30, as we see, he came close to the 
point of death for this work of Christ. The word there in verse 30, risking. That word risking is the Greek word pronounced parabolani. Parabolani. And there was a group of believers in the early Christian church who were called the parabolani. And they would go and they would minister to those who were sick with contagious and deadly diseases, and they would preach the gospel to them, and they would know that they themselves might contract that same disease. They were risking their own lives, parabolani, and they claimed Epaphroditus as their model and example in what they did because they believed in those early days that that's what Epaphroditus had done when he went to Rome, and that's how he contracted the deadly disease. He came close to death for the work of Christ, risking Parabolani, his own life, as he sought to minister to the sick and dying. This kind of ministry to the sick and dying, in which one risks his own life, it has been performed not just by the Parabolani in the early church, but by many others throughout the history of the church. In the third century, in the city of Carthage, there was a great plague that swept through the city, And the unbelievers were terrified as they witnessed great many of the people dying. And a bishop there named Cyprian, he organized believers to go among the sick and witness the gospel to them. And there were many conversions to Christ through their witness. In August of of 1519, August 1519, at the height of the Protestant Reformation, An outbreak of the Black Plague took place in Zurich, Switzerland. One in four people died in the city. Everyone who could afford it left the city. The leading pastor of the city in Zurich, his name was Ulrich Zwingli, and he remained in the city that he might continue to preach the gospel to the poor, and Zwingli caught the disease himself, but later recovered In 1665, there was the Great Plague of London. Again, it killed 25% of the city's population. There was a Puritan pastor in the city of London named Thomas Vincent. Others fled the city. They begged Vincent that he should leave the city, but Vincent refused to do so because he desired to continue to minister to the poor, to the sick, and to the dying. Seven members of his own household died in the plague. Vincent would not leave. He stayed. He never caught the plague. And he continued to preach the gospel to others. So what began perhaps with Epaphroditus himself in his risking his own life and the parabolani in the early church continues and it still continues today throughout the history of the church. Men and women risking their lives for the good work of Christ Why would someone be willing to do this? Why would Epaphroditus be willing to even risk his own life in the work of Christ? The answer is found back in chapter 1 of Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1 and verse 21, where Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. 
But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. That was Epaphroditus' view of life as he ministered to the needs of others in the midst of whatever dangers he was being exposed to. To live was to live for Christ and for the work of the gospel. And if I die, if I die in the midst of my work for Christ, what will happen to me? I will depart and I will go and be with Christ. And that is very much better. Because Epaphroditus was certain that his sins were forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And Epaphroditus was assured that he had the righteousness of Christ to stand in the presence of God. And if he died in the midst of his work, then he would immediately be in the presence of God forever with Jesus Christ. To die is gain to him, for it is very much better. I will do my work here, and I will even risk my life if it is for the cause of Christ. Then when I depart, it will be very much better. It will be to be with Christ. So this should be the goal of our lives as well. This is the way it was with Epaphroditus. He looked back over his life. He said, I have lived for Christ. He looked forward and he said, I am going to be with him. And that is the way that we should live our lives as Epaphroditus did. The last thing we see in our passage, in our study this morning is, today is, Paul, Paul and his thanksgiving to the Philippians for the gift they sent by Epaphroditus. We see this in chapter 4 of this letter, chapter 4. And we'll read in verse 17 and 18. And Paul says, verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. He says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that the gift that the Philippians sent was not a great gift abundant financial gift in itself because they had deep poverty, Paul said. But they did send the gift and they, and they did receive it, or Paul did receive it. And he says here that he had received everything in full and abundance and he was amply supplied. And so what Paul speaks of here is not so much the amount of the gift, but he is really seen speaking of the grace of God in the hearts of the Philippians that had so much love to Christ and love to him that they were willing to do whatever they could, however small the gift might be, yet it was very great to the Apostle Paul, and he was amply, abundantly supplied. Every need was fulfilled because Paul's real concern was the grace of God in the lives of believers and not what he could receive from them. That's what he says in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And it was to the benefit of the Philippians. And that's what he rejoiced in, is that it would be received by God in heaven and be blessed by him. This is what he says in, at the end of verse 18. He says, what you have sent, he calls it a fragrant aroma, 
an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. These are the words that were used of the old covenant sacrifices when the priest would go into the holy place and offer up the sacrifice and there was an aroma and it was hopefully an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And for us in the new covenant, this is what all of our worship is in the New Testament church. Whether it is our attendance at worship and when we come together as a church, we bring prayers, we bring our hymns of thanksgiving and praise, we offer it all, we are priests, all of us priests in the New Testament, we offer it up to him, and if we offer it to him with pure and hearts, pure hearts looking to him through Jesus Christ, then it is a fragrant aroma to him. It includes our gifts as well to the cause of the gospel. And so we are small and we are weak and we wonder, does God even notice and does he look down upon us? Yes, he does. And when we bring our worship, it is a fragrant aroma to him, an acceptable sacrifice, and it is well-pleasing him. In other words, God smiles and he rejoices when he sees such offerings, spiritual offerings of his people to him. And when Paul says he gives a promise, he connects a promise to it now. In verse 19, he says, my God may, may my, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So we offer our worship and we make our gifts to him and God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What do we have to give to him? Nothing that he has not already given to us. What do we have to give to him? A little silver? A little gold? What is that to him? To the great God. The great God has all of his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We will never be losers to give to him. We give to him the little that we have. And he rewards us in even far greater ways. With riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He is the God who has all things to give to us. If someone gave you a blank check. And they said, fill in the blank check for whatever amount you have. The only value of the blank check would be based on the person who stands behind the bank blank check. If the person had no money in the bank or very little money in the bank, what good would it do? You, could, you would get nothing. But when the great God gives us a blank check, he's the infinite God who has all things that are for our good. And so that's what he's giving to us here in verse 19 is this Blank check, he shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And when Paul says that, now in verse 20, he rejoices and he goes now into a doxology. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, Thank you for the word of God, the good example of your servant Epaphroditus. Lord, help us, we pray, to be more like him, 
Conform us to the image of your beloved Son. Give us hearts that trust in you in all of our ways and acknowledge you in all things that we do. Forgive us of many sins and failures and weaknesses. Cleanse us, we pray, and strengthen our hearts in the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless now the rest of this day and bring us back together, Lord's willing, next week. And we pray that you would receive our thanksgiving, our praise, and our worship today. In Jesus' name, amen.